Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations, where each week we explore a topic to help us have more powerful conversations with ourselves and each other. I am your host, Sarah Noel Wilson, and joining me today is my dear friend, colleague, sister, Kristen Souter. <laughs> so let me tell you a little bit about Kristen. So Kristen is um, an incredible colleague of ours um, on our team, and we realize that this is the first time you all are hearing from her. She is incredible, and I'm really excited about this conversation. So let me give you a little bit of the formal background to introduce you. Kristen Sauter is a co-active leadership coach. She's a native German who brings an international perspective to her coaching through her past work in the UK, the United States, Germany, and points in between. Kristen works with us and our many leaders across the US, which has allowed her to build a deeper understanding and appreciation of people-focused leadership, or what she likes to call peopleship. Kristen shares her passion and advocacy for mental well-being and her coaching with a belief in unashamedly sharing experiences and exploring healthier paths to emotional fitness using the principles of positive intelligence. So that's your very formal bio. Kristen, mm. what mm. else would you like our audience to know about you? Well, I'm a mom. I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm a mom. Uh, I, yeah, I used to live around the world, uh, as you just shared, um, been back in Germany for, well, for two and a half years now. And um, yeah, very much enjoy life here back in Munich, uh, where it all started with my lovely husband and now with a child. Um, and yeah, I really much uh, enjoy working on the very things that I got to work with you uh, for about two and a half years back mm -hmm. in the US. Um, yeah, and continue to work the amazing work that we that I started with you. Um, You've been doing it for some time, and uh, when I joined uh, the team, it was just fantastic. Um, working with teams, working with leaders, and adding my spin to it a little, and you know, mm -hmm. now changing into a well, changed a bit of career and focus as well. You know, um, coaching has become my main focus, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, awesome. Well, mm, welcome. We Kristen you. was one of one of the OG team members yeah. you know we met and i said i don't know what i'm gonna have you do but mm -hmm. i really value what you bring and your perspective and your personality is different and although similar and complementary and so we'll find a spot and it's been um, really incredible to see this evolution that we've grown up together a bit and now to see the work that you're doing with mm -hmm. our clients okay so folks you know, Kristen and I, we had a list of topics we wanted to explore. And the one that was near and dear to our heart is an experience we've both gone through separately and together, and that is ADHD. So today, my friends, <laughs> for those of you fellow busy brain folks, we want to talk about adult ADHD in particular, um, share a little bit about our experiences, challenges we faced, right, misdiagnosis, things that have been helpful, things we've learned along the way, you know, just a little bit of a, uh, you know, clarification, we are not specialists in this field. So we will just be speaking from our experiences with this. But we know that, um, yeah, I just was actually last night, Kristen, I was reading an article that was talking about the rise of a, adult diagnosis of ADHD and part of what's contributing to the um, uh, shortage of Adderall and mm -hmm. and how there's not currently a kind of a common framework and approach to diagnosing adults, which was really it was just interesting timing. Yeah, um, that's interesting. So, 
So let's start. I mean, let's start first with your experience of of being diagnosed. Like what? Like and take us. I mean, I know I was there and I was part of it, but like <laughs> all your fault, Sarah. <laughs> you're on the list of people that I'm like, I don't know, but I think you might want to talk now. But 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 go from before the diagnosis. Like what were the things you were experiencing? Maybe what was feedback you were hearing from other people that that led you to a point where you went, mm, maybe this is something that I'm struggling with that is worthy to be diagnosed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been struggling with mental health issues for quite some time. Really, when um, I went through college or university here in Germany, I started to, you know, to find myself having depression, episodes of depression, and they continued when I entered the working world. And I could never really pinpoint where this is coming from. There was pressure. I felt pressure as well. And then um, my husband and I, we moved from Munich to London in 2009, it was a whole change, not just city or country. I decided, oh, well, let's also change career, you know. So uh, as I was a consultant, supply chain consultant before, I moved into a whole different arena marketing because I decided I needed more fun in my life. I needed something more exciting, more creative. And as much as that, you know, is was exciting, uh, very quickly, I found myself extremely overwhelmed, you know, mm. no energy for some time. For the first five years, I struggled so badly with anxiety and depression. And I was, but I was fighting through, I was fighting through and I could not understand why I was not making movements in my career. I was shifting from one, let's be honest, I was shifting from one job to another. Because I felt like oh I, I wasn't I wasn't doing a good enough job, so I decided mm-hmm. I needed to find a new one, and and that was hard, you know. Um, of course, let's not forget also that I was not fluent in English as I am today. You know, everything adds up at mm-hmm. the end. It became mm-hmm. just very much overwhelming. And uh, by 2016, um, uh, I realized something is is really not well i mean i i faced like major anxiety and i got to a point where i mean to be brutally honest with you i was thinking this is it i cannot deal with this anymore i don't want to i don't want to feel this pain anymore that i feel um i'm not as good i was comparing myself of course with others with my coworkers. i could not make progress and i did not understand what it was. So I did a lot of self-diagnosing. I, I, I saw a therapist and everyone was, was telling me anxiety. Then I was thinking social anxiety and things like that, you know, and they may all have been part of my journey and how you call it, like conditions that come with ADHD. But I did not feel like ADHD was on the right. It was not on my radar at all. So, um, and then in 2016, actually, uh, I made a major career cut, you know, mm-hmm. because I was not feeling I'm contributing well enough to the organization I was working for. I wasn't doing a good enough job. You know, um, my motivation really dropped and I had no energy left. So I was really um, for for the for almost eight or eight years that we spent in London, I was really just dragging myself for eight years and i didn't understand why this was and i didn't feel like you know i'm 
yeah, I can thrive in the, the, the work environments I was working in, but I didn't understand, again, I did not understand why that was. I didn't understand the underlying issue. You know, I was just thinking, uh, I, I'm not capable of coping with the stress mm. and the lifestyle that London gives you, you know, and uh, very competitive at times. So really, um, that was my journey. Um, a lot of like under thinking that I have different conditions and have different problems, but I was doing everything I could to, you know, get better. But everything I did did not seem to make me, you know, make me feel better. And then, of course, because of that, this, this is the tricky part. Because you don't get better, mm -hmm. you feel like you're a failure. Mm. You feel you're failing. You mm. feel like, you know, you can't even, you know, see a therapist and get better at anything. Why is this not working for me? So it, you, it's constantly this idea of I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. I'm not good enough at this. I'm not, you know, why is this not getting better? Why can I not keep up my my motivation, my energy, my work, you know, things like that. So, and, and there were so many other things that I was good at, like networking, meeting people, you know, I was creating new events in London and, and it was just... There were things that I was really good at outside of work, you know, even inside of work, you know, networking, meeting people. That was all that I loved doing this. But when it came when it came to creating output, creating work, and you know, in a very fast pace and with deadlines and in a very highly structured way, and you name it, you know, in environments where there are lots and lots of people around you, I could not function. Mm. I was really not able to function. Uh, and that changed when, yeah, we moved to the US. I was thinking, hell, a new start. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> Iowa. We'll go. Iowa. We'll go from London to Iowa. <laughs> I've never been to the place, but I said to my husband, "It better be good." And it was. <laughs> it was everything I could ask for because coming from a big city like London, you know, mm. where there's so much, there's so much distraction, so much going on. You never stand still. You never calm down. I felt at least that way. Mm. Iowa was very much the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit slower here. Oh, very, very slow. But it was, it was just a dream, honestly. <laughs> as cold as it is, you know, in winter. <laughs> but it's, it's just, no, it really helped me to then really calm down and to really rethink okay what has what has just happened for the past eight years you know yeah yeah um but i adhd was still not on my radar as you know i know until our, <laughs> our paths crossed i <clears throat> i'm trying i was trying to remember i mean i think mm. i because i you and i i mean that was part of what we bonded over was just being really vulnerable about like mental health and mm -hmm. the challenges we were having and how do we how do we do more of that work how do we help more people um think about mental health be supportive of mental health and you know and so just like um i don't necessarily need to go into my story or i can tell my story mm. later but i I was diagnosed in January of 2018 mm. at the age of 37. Yep. And so I was newly in this reality of understanding my brain in a different way, which made me see other people's brains in another way. And I know you and I had had a lot of conversations around like the social anxiety mm. um, 
and I, I don't remember what it was, but I was, I remember there was some day where I was like, I can't, I'm, I can't diagnose you, but you're yeah. saying a lot of the same things yeah. that I struggle with. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, so what, so what was it like for you? Because I know for, I, it's funny. Cause when I think about when I was diagnosed, and I walked into my boss's office at the time and I was, I was in my final weeks at, at, at ARUG and Lisa, my boss, I went in and I was like, well, I got a healthy case of ADHD. And she was like, are you surprised? And I, I was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I've been really successful. I've been right. Like I've accomplished all yes. of this. And she yes. was not surprised. But I, I do remember feeling r- r- relief mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Be- because you know, as you and I've talked before, and just like real quick for folks at home, th- I also never had ADHD on my radar. I knew my one brother definitely did. We uh, undiagnosed my dad, but he very much this is where we <laughs> this is the lineage, like where we get it from. Um, but it was never on my radar until I started to build my own company. I lost all of those structures, external pressures, all of that, like focus. And I couldn't figure out why I wasn't as successful there as I was in the workplace. And um, so what, when you, you know, when you think back to uh, finally being, was it 2018 or 2019? It was 2020. It was 2020 when Mm. you got diagnosed. Mm. It was a month before we moved back, actually. Right, right. So what was, what, what was that experience like for you? Um, because I know I've heard from other people how like there's just different emotions that come up or different things that become yeah. became clear. So in that moment of being having that diagnosis, um, yeah, just what what came up for you? What was that experience like? I mean, I mean, let me start a little bit before that because you yeah. said something that um, really resonated with me actually. Because I remember we had long conversations about me thinking I have social anxiety and things like, yeah. again, all this self-diagnosed. And it all makes sense because they kind of overlap a little. Mm-hmm. And that's the tricky part then to um, understand maybe it's something else because you, you feel like, oh, this is what it is. And then um, I remember you saying to me, have a look, have a look into ADHD. I don't know for sure, but have a look. And I'm like, Exactly what you said earlier, but no, Sarah, you have ADHD. You're so successful. You're good on the, on stage. You're you're good at reading fast. You know, you're good at putting out content. Very good. all the things that I seem to have a hard time with. Mm. You know, very much like you know, reading fast is not a thing for me. I have to read sometimes. Depends on the condition and the day. I have to read mm. page like five times to understand yeah. even one thing. Mm. I can get the gist, but I will not get the details. <laughs> writing, writing, putting putting something yeah. from the brain onto paper sometimes feels you need days to put anything. Yeah. That That's why marketing never worked for me. Content writing never worked for me because it was just too brain heavy. Putting content, putting words on paper is, I can't, I well, I cannot, I cannot see how it's done, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but when you said, um, I have a look into ADHD again, I, I didn't believe that this is, this is me, that this could be me. Then I started to read and I'm like, oh, there's a whole spectrum, you know, you mm-hmm. can be anywhere mm-hmm. on this, you know, you have, everyone experiences ADHD very, very quickly, uh, very differently. And, um, so when I had this diagnosis, finally, um, 
there was definitely relief. There was absolute relief. But again, I didn't have enough time to process because we had a big move coming. Right, right. And then we moved to Munich. Six months after we came back, we moved to Munich. So I had to find a new therapist or somebody at least to prescribe me medication because I decided to go that route for medication. You know, I had a new baby and first time mom and all these changes, COVID. Don't have to mention that, but, you know, it was just a lot of changes, a lot of things going on, and I needed something to help me out. So, and then I, I met this doctor and she said, well, you know, this, di this diagnosis, we would either have interviews done with, you know, your parents or, you know, teachers, if you haven't got anything in writing from your childhood, especially from school. And I'm like, well, um, let me let me ask my mom to to have a look at for these things you know maybe there is something still out there at my my parents house um that might be helpful um and i texted my mom same day and she took a couple of photos from you know when you get the at the end of the year like reading sure. thing like the, yeah i don't know how you call it in english but you like know, a report card or you're like yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a one page or kind of thing you know <clears throat> feedback and as i was going through quite is quite wonderful you know i'm like i'm reading i'm like <laughs> oh boy and i was going to you know year two and i'm like the same thing <laughs> kristen stares out of the window kristen doesn't mm. listen kristen is too chatty kristen you know you know isn't isn't fast enough isn't a fast enough worker you know and, mm. and i'm like and i'm reading through it to year six or something in school and I was just sitting there. I was frustrated. I was angry. I was crying. Mm. I was mm. everything. In that moment, I felt everything at once. I was so angry. Angry at, I didn't even know at the moment what, where, who I was angry with, you know, but I think if I was simply angry with the simple fact that I had lived for 39 mm. years, not knowing that I was going through life at such a with such a condition, let's say, you know, that I, had I known before, could have really saved me so many hardships, you know, so much mm. trouble, you know, um, I would have made, I think I would have made different decisions. Mm -hmm. But I was also relieved, of course. It took me a long time to accept, I have to admit, it, it took me a long time to accept that this is a lifelong condition that I cannot change. I can support and you know myself to feel better during the day, but it was very much like an acceptance of okay, this is what I have. This is how it makes my life potentially more difficult. But I also had to find all the things that that are, are working in my favor. Let's say you yeah. know my strength and things like. But uh, there was a whole a whole area of exception, accepting yeah. what it is. I think that I mean you you're speaking to, and I suspect there are people who are listening who might resonate with that, um, or there might be people like, oh, that's that's interesting. And and I know quite a few folks who, um, when they were finally diagnosed as an adult, there was an incredible amount of sadness and a lot mm. of anger. And usually, what I hear from people is, and and I remember feeling this too. Like, I always had it in me to be a straight A student. Not that that's like the only like measure of success, but when you're in school, it is the only measure mm -hmm, of success. Mm -hmm. And, and I never could figure out 
like why I was like a really good A minus B, you know, but it, it was always like, like, really, you know, I had so much and I remember talking to, you know, my, my one of my brothers, he and I have talked about this and my cousin and some other folks are like, I always was like, I know I'm smarter than what I'm outputting right now. Like, I know I'm capable of more. Mm, mm, mm. But there was um, an incredible amount of loss and grieving Absolutely. of the life that could have been. And I really appreciate that you brought that up. Um, and I think that that's something for people who um, aren't neurodivergent, who haven't, who aren't experiencing mm -hmm. this. Um, yeah, there is a lot of sadness of like, what if, like, yeah. it's hard not to be like, well, so what would have happened had I known, and not even blaming anyone, right? When we were younger, you know, largely, the only people who were diagnosed when I was a kid was, you know, hyperactive boys. And mm -hmm. it wasn't even on the radar, really, that it could present differently in girls. And, um, you know, or if you had some level of success, right? In my case, it was like, oh, she's a good, she's a really great student. And she's really focused. Well, part of the reason I was a great student is because I was so afraid of disappointing people yeah. that I was like incredibly hard on myself. I want to take a quick moment just for folks who are listening, um, you know, just to, to clarify some things about about ADD um, or ADHD. And really, that's how you you call it. You call it ADHD, regardless of how it manifests. Mm -hmm. But, it, you know, it's it's the, the whole uh, attention deficit, right? Hyperactive hyperactivity disorder it's it's really not a deficit of attention it's it's that's actually it's a that's sort of a terrible like mm -hmm. label that mm -hmm. it's but it's a it's a like regulation issue so for people mm -hmm. who aren't who are listening and who don't um, experience this or are unfamiliar with it the the challenge is that the um uh, you know people who have been diagnosed uh, with adhd our brains are structured differently. We process chemicals differently, right? Which impact our dopamine, which impacts our electrical activity in our brain. And it's it's a regulation issue. So meaning typically um, people on the uh, with ADHD, they, they shift between like, like if a neurotypical person like, oh, I can, I can turn up my attention and I can give this a four or five and I'm really bored, but I can like get the job done. The four or five doesn't exist for us. It's, <laughs> it's like an 11 on a scale of one to 10 or one or two. Mm -hmm. And it's incredibly painful, which mm -hmm. is why, which is why stimulants, like why they prescribe stimulants is because literally there's a part of our brain that's not lighting up naturally, especially when something is, I mean, I hate to say it like this, but boring or not interesting, our brain just doesn't light up to be able to do that work. And we can't force it, which is why stimulants are really um, helpful at actually calming down mm -hmm. because they're lighting up the part of the brain that the body's trying to move around and get and get going. So I just I want to I wanted to pause on that. The other thing that I wanted to share real quickly, because ADHD is definitely one of those. It's one of those um I even hate calling it a condition. I mean, it is, but it's like a condition of our culture, right? Because like, if we, it's a deficit because of what our society and culture expects of us. It's a condition because I have to sit at a desk for eight hours a day doing focused attention to detail work. But let's be real, folks. Leonardo da Vinci that dude had ADHD. I mean, <laughs> did you see all the unfinished notebooks that, you know, of all of his inventions that never happened? Yeah. Um, talk to us about, though, again, from your experience, th that misdiagnosis, because that's really common mm -hmm. that people with ADHD, 
uh, anxiety, depression can come as a result of the ADHD. And I'm just curious to hear more about your experience. Yeah, really. I mean, and, and there are conditions and, and mental health issues that, you know, they coexist with ADHD. They're, mm-hmm. they're basically mostly, mostly they, they start later because of all the, all the mistreatment that you potentially face in school or at home, you know, most people probably get called lazy at some point because, mm-hmm. you know, what you just described is like, it's harder for us to, to get motivated and to, to stick with a task if it doesn't lit up, you know, the, the chemicals, if it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't do anything, you know? So, and then we get diagnosed, we get actually labeled many things like you being lazy, you just have to put more effort. Mm, yeah, just put that checklist, just create a checklist, Sarah. This thing is, yeah, <laughs> yes, you need to have a time. Oh, how often did I hear you need to have a time <laughs> time management? For yeah, like, Pro- project management, yeah. number one goal put every another, year in corporate another, America. <laughs> yeah, put another training on me. I, I, I tell you now, I, I will stick to it maybe for two minutes. And then that's it, you know, because I tried. And here's the thing, one of the things that really need, people need to understand standards and where i guess also a lot of like anxiety and depression comes in at some point is we have been doing so much over the life Mm. that we've already been living we have already tried to fit in so much we have already tried to be neurotypical when there is no mold for us we won't be able to fit in that mold of a neurotypical person you know, in a system, in a society that is not even, there isn't no factors for, they don't even consider what it takes for somebody with a neurodiverse brain, you know, to even exist on this earth, you know, and it's, it's, we already have done so much. That's why I always keep saying we are the most resilient people that you could probably ever meet because we have been getting up over yeah. and over and over again because we had to stand up every time that we felt uh, that we felt that we thought we failed again you know we and like me you know in my career i felt how often did i feel like i failed again i did mm. not make i studied i put all this hard work you know i studied for i, I studied in a normal time but it took me so much more effort to yeah. even get through this i didn't understand why this is and this is also where you feel like i'm not smart enough mm-hmm I'm simply not, no, simply my brain is not, you know, capable of reading a book from A to to Z, you know, uh, in in a week's time, because there are millions of things that my brain also wants to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But then sticking through a task, sticking through a project is actually a major win for us. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like, you know, we've, we've put on so much more effort than most people can even think about or can even comprehend because it takes us so much more time now if you don't know that you have adhd and that this is part of the condition yes then anxiety and depression is very much very much there because of all the things you tell yourself all the stories you get told by other people so so you're Mm. watching so even just Mm. watching society watching your friends Mm. watching co-workers 
you know, there's there's all this. I mean, it's it's it's. We could probably talk about this topic for weeks if we wouldn't even finish because right. everyone also experiences very very different. One of the things that I know that is really common, and you and you spoke to this when you were talking about like just the cycle of of failure and the cycle mm-hmm. of what's wrong with me is, um, and and honestly, like I, I'm probably at a place now where. It doesn't come up at, as often, but it's the shame. Mm-hmm. It's the, you know, the, I call, for me personally, I call it the shame train, right? What's oh, wrong yeah. with me? Mm-hmm. Why can't I figure this out? I should be able, right? Shooting on myself. I should be able mm-hmm. to do this. And in the beginning, for me, when I was starting to build the business on the side, I mean, I just, I, I would have calls with people and I would think, yeah, I'll remember that. And I didn't because I didn't know at the time that my short-term memory was absolute shit and like um and then I would write it in a notebook to keep myself organized but I would write in whatever notebook I had in front of me and then you know it's just and and it would just trigger this zero to 60 like (laughs) what I'm the worst person in the world why can't I figure this out and I think that's something important for people you know who are listening and especially Mm -hmm. if they have loved ones who are neurodivergent really in any way when you don't fit the mold it's really easy and that's not even just neurodivergent. Let's name this. Oh, like yeah, when you do not fit the mold of the dominant culture, whatever that is, wherever you're at. So if you're in America, right? If you're a person of color versus being white, if you're an atheist versus being a, a you know, like in a religious, if you are a woman, not a man, if you are right, like not within the like right age and you're too old or you're too young, right? Like when you do not fit the mold, it's really easy for self-doubt to creep in because you go what's wrong with me that I can't show up in this way Mm -hmm. and and you know it's like boy I think about the conversation we had with Neha early on in the season about imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. that was so transformative for me and she said you know imposter syndrome shows up when people are trying to exist in systems that weren't built for them Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so I'm curious to hear like what resonates for you because because that that shame can also show up as a diagnosable com- condition, the RSD. Um, oh yes, yeah. yeah I, I would love to have you kind of expand on that. Are we talking about shame as in when you were diagnosed afterwards, or even before? I mean, before and after. I mean, like I was mm-hmm. diagnosed, and I still like I. That was one mm-hmm. of the things mm-hmm. I had to catch mm-hmm. was when my brain would go into autopilot of shaming myself because I had. 37 years Mm -hmm. of conditioning in my brain Mm. to be Mm -hmm. like, why am I not good enough? Why can't I figure this out? Mm -hmm. And part of that was because like my brain wasn't designed to figure it out in the same way I can figure it out. I can figure it out in a way that works for me, but I might not figure it out in a way that'll work for everyone else. I think for me, it it shows up um, probably similar, but I feel a lot of shame and I have to be very transparent here. Um, became a mom before I had a diagnosis and Mm. with being a mom um, there comes a lot of like different a different level of pressure almost you know when your child is you know getting three and uh, (laughs) it's really acting not the way you'd like you because you really want that child to just sit in a corner be quiet all day (laughs) not my child um and and you know there is a there is a whole level of you know impulsivity that sometimes comes mm, in and that's mm. where I my shame has creeped them very badly because sometimes I 
I am very impulsive with my child, especially in the mornings when I want to get ready, but he doesn't, you know, I want to get out of the house, but he doesn't. And um, I think a lot of parents can speak to that, no matter neurodiverse or not, you know, but um, I think where, where my shame comes in is that my, my threshold or, you know, the level of, you know, acceptance that he might need another two minutes is almost not existing Mm. now or never. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doing everything to get ready now. And sometimes, you know, um, I found myself just, you know, increasing my voice slightly more than I should, you know, and, and that is where I feel where shame for me comes in that mm. I feel like I cannot do, I cannot do motherhood well enough, you know, I'm, I have mm. to yell at my child to get ready, you know. But again, that could also, of course, I, I, I know that other parents go through similar challenges, especially the morning routines and things. But I feel like maybe I'm where I'm coming in much earlier than them. You know, I, I feel that's where my shame comes in a lot, you know. Mm. Mm. Other examples are same as you following up with people, you know, or, you know, you know, texting people back. Sometimes it takes me weeks but i'm not but here's the funny part is i'm i'm not i'm not doing this deliberately yeah but i i was reading at some point you know when it's out of your sight it's out of your mind mm-hmm. with ADHD, with people with adhd mm. this is so true mm-hmm. this is so true because when that text message let's say on whatsapp creeps down a little you know you know and it's not in your sight anymore this is gone. You have to yeah, scroll. It just doesn't exist. <laughs> it doesn't exist. And then I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. You know, and, and this is where shame, of course, comes in because I don't want people to feel like I ignore them. But it's mm-hmm. it's so hard because life is just moving on and there are so many fun, funny things that happen as well. You know, you, you want to pay attention to and you shouldn't, but your yeah. brain tells you you should. You know? Yeah. And, well, and like, because most of us are lacking in dopamine, right? Mm-hmm. We're sort of chasing those dopamine hits a little bit, you know, and I think that's a good, good thing, again, for people who are neurotypical who are listening to this is that it really is if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. We'll be back with Kristen in a moment. I the day I got diagnosed, I came home and I was like, time to hire an assistant. Yeah. I cannot, mm-hmm. I just can't do it on my mm-hmm. own. And it was never going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And even now, like I've gotten better about, hey, Amy, uh, this is something personal that I want to do for somebody, but mm-hmm. it, it doesn't come for two months. So can you just set a reminder and help me, right? Like help make sure that I get it done. I think it's important to talk to people about different ways it can manifest or different challenges. So, you know, a couple of things I know about myself is, um, and this is one of the, this was part of my um, diagnose, like my assessment was, um, you know, they, they test your cognitive, right? Like mm-hmm. your, your, your speed, your cognitive speed and recall and like all, all of these different things. And so for me, I'm, I'm like off, I'm, I'm off the chart. I mean, I'm not being like, Oh, I'm really smart, but like my brain I have a really, really fast brain. Mm-hmm. No, anyone listening to this like podcast shouldn't be surprised by that. I can attest to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a really, really fast brain. Mm-hmm. And and in other areas cognitively, I'm re- I score really, really high. 
but my short-term memory was like 50%. Mm. And the thing that was so interesting is when my therapist was breaking down the the results, she said, you know, so for you, even though that's average, like that's not bad, that's not an F, that's average. Mm -hmm. But when your brain is so used to operating in a different level, when something feels average, it feels worse. And so so things like short-term memory is Mm -hmm. very real. uh, name and face blindness, very mm-hmm. real. Like that is something that I, I, I can know you for years and love you and we can have a really close relationship and I could potentially forget your name and potentially not pick you out in a, like, I don't have mm-hmm. like total face blindness, but because my short term memory is so bad, right? Like it takes a little bit for people to get in, but even if I know somebody, right, then the name can escape. Um, some people have issues being able to focus depending on sensory things. So for yeah. me, like the more visual clutter that exists, the harder it is for my brain to be able to focus. Whereas say like I you have a friend who it's like the more audio, like mm-hmm. auditory mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is really difficult. And and the other thing that I just want to share again, like I feel like I'm just like, I want people who don't have this to understand that it's real and it's really frustrating sometimes is like, Many people with ADHD, the part of the brain that takes in information and can help you prioritize just doesn't work. And so instead of, you know, so I'll I'll use my mom as an example. My mom is beautifully neurotypical. I did not get that from her. And she could see a messy room Mm -hmm. and she will know she can take in all that information and her brain can just like organize it and go, I'm going to start here and then I'm going to start here and then we do this and Mm -hmm. then we do this and then we do this. That that shit doesn't exist in my brain. I walk into our, you know, storage closet and I'm like, I physically feel pain because my brain's taking it all in and then it just can't sort it. So I yeah. need somebody to go like, here's my box. Mm-hmm. What are some other like experiences, symptoms that you would add to that? Mm. Uh, very much to that is... Um... You're buying a, you're buying a, uh, a shelf, let's say, somewhere... The worst probably. <laughs> Ordering it on IKEA. <laughs> I was still saying that. And then you have to figure out this whole menu of things, how to assemble this very <laughs> simple, actually, IKEA shelf. And it has like pages to pay. It's very small. <laughs> the worst is like it's so small that you can't. You, now I have classes because I'm getting old, but you know. Really, and then I have to give it to somebody, mostly my husband, and say, "Read this thing. Explain to me in five sentences what I have to do, and I do yeah. it for you." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's just like uh, you know, <sighs> comprehending what is like what I'm reading, and then processing mm-hmm. what I'm reading, and then doing yeah. something with that information. Sometimes, especially when it's like um, a very stru- in a very structured way, I feel like, well, I'm not. Yeah. Well, and then and then you add on the impulsivity, right? That can exist for some people. And you're like, yeah, 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 just give it to me. I mean, that was one of the like, I don't know if this was part of your assessment, but they I had to do this like computer thing. <laughs> Mine. Did you know what I'm talking about? Everyone who's gone through this is knows why we're laughing. So like, depending on how you're assessed, oh. you know, there's lots of there's interviews and there's questions and there's like brain teasers. And then there's this like, they sit you down at a computer by yourself. And it's a really simple activity and the activity 
activity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know where I'm going with this. So the activity is hit this button when you see the like, when you see uh, the word brown, right? Mm -hmm. Or hit this button when you see the color brown. And then it kind of like, that's basically it. But it says, we're gonna, we're gonna train you. Um, like, we're gonna teach you how to do this. And it's a really simple activity. And unbeknownst to me, like, I was like, yeah, I got it. And it was like, I just start hitting enter over and over and over. Like, come on, I got it. Like, I don't need to keep testing. Like, I don't need to train. I've got it. Like, give me the test. I'm good. And, and, and then, and then it's progressively gets harder, right? All of that. And, uh, and when my therapist was giving me the results, she said, so your impulsivity is very high. And I was like, well, how do you know? And she was like, you hit the enter key like 66 times to try to get out of that training because your brain was like, yeah, 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 I got it. I got it. I got it. Um, but, 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 but that can be like, that can be amazing and it can be problematic, you know, but your gosh, your point, I don't know. Did you do that? Was your, <laughs> you're just like, come on, I'm good. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, brown. I, I got it. Yeah, I got yeah, it. Color brown and the word red. I got it. We're going to be mixing these up and let's go. Um, yeah. it's, uh, I think that's like one, I mean, it's definitely one of the indicators. My, my, my brother, he was, when he got tested, he was, he was like, the clock was so damn loud. And I was like, is this part of the test? Like, am I getting distracted by the clock? And mm. he's like, I never got confirmation, but I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Other things people should, I mean, like, what else would you add? So like that comprehension of like complex text can be difficult because like we just can't hold focus. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that was a major struggle for me, but only I not I not I notice now because I have the, first of all, I have the diagnosis. I understand what it, what it is with me that I struggle with when it comes to ADHD. And looking back, especially with my London time, you know, uh, during my time in London and working in the corporate corporate world over there, sitting in an open office, yeah, it's been uh, it's been so difficult and. Actually, just today, as I was thinking about this podcast, I was realizing what I was doing to compensate for all mm. the missed hours that I was sitting at my desk when everyone was around, what I was doing to compensate for the missed work because I couldn't concentrate. I was coming into the office much earlier and mm. I was leaving as one of the last because it was very mm. quiet. Mm. And also another thing I realized is I was in my last workplace. Uh, we didn't have any designated desks which is hard mm. when you have 300 people in an open yeah. office and you yeah. have to find your de at the, any desk. Yeah. And I was always going for something that is quiet and I didn't understand. Of course, at the time, I didn't know why I needed something yeah. that is more remote, more away from anyone else and more quiet. Now I understand. So structure, having something in place that really... Mm, of course, if, if I understand that I have this and I can choose and pick what I need in order to, you know, create content or, or do, do a really good job, you know, having that in place is, is very, very important and valuable, actually, mm -hmm. for somebody with ADHD. So any workplaces that are open offices, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you find people wanting now that we had COVID, wanting to work from home way more often than going yeah. into an office building where there is so much noise and destruction around, you know? So yeah. 
So distracted for me, definitely noise, visuals, anything. And then also don't forget a distraction is also a thought, you know? Yeah. So if you get really bored, for example, you have no dopamine hits coming up, nothing happens. You have your, your distraction become your thought sometimes. And mm -hmm. even if you have to focus on something, there are stories you, you share, there are things you think about, you know, distraction that your brain comes up with. And mm -hmm. you, you also go, it doesn't have to be anything from, from, from the external world, you know, it can also be an internal distraction. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. and that's, and that's such a good point because, you know, one, one of the, you know, there's, there's, it's interesting because online, I feel like there's this debate of, you know, people are like, there's gifts and there's superpowers and people are like, mm -hmm. it sucks and I'm not going to pretend, you know, but there are, there are, there are strengths we have mm -hmm. because of it, mm -hmm. you know, but one of the things that I just wanted to name off as you were talking that was coming up for me is that one of the, one of the reasons or like uh, ways anxiety um, and depression and OCD can become attached to ADHD, the ADHD brain, if you will, is hyper focus is a very real thing, folks. And mm -hmm. when you're hyper focused on ruminating, when you're hyper focused on a negative thought spiral, it is intense and it's persistent and it's really difficult to disrupt sometimes. Um, so hyper focus, you know, is the, when we talked earlier about that regulating, is that just like, watch out when someone who has ADHD is in full hyper focus mode. Um, because honestly, there were times where, and, and I was, God, I was so fortunate that even before I was diagnosed, my leader, Lisa, like figured this out about me. She was just like, I knew once you got in the zone, if you were like, I'm in it, and I'm going to stay up. I'm going to stay here till seven and just finish mm -hmm. it. She's like, I knew you would crank out more in those four or five hours than you would all week. Mm -hmm. You know, like you could just get into it. And so that's, I think that's really important for people who have it, for people who love people who have it, who work with people is like, what, what are the conditions to help support that hyper-focus? And once it happens, like, just let that train happen because yeah. again, you're just going to be able to get so much more. And, and, and uh, I'm going to interrupt myself. Um, and what I'm reflecting on is our heavy meeting culture, mm -hmm. like constantly having meetings and meetings and meetings and shifting focus and being distracted. Like we can ride that really effectively. The problem is we never get the space to like get into hyper-focus mode. Um, which might work really well for like a neurotypical, but probably not. Let's be real. It's, it doesn't really work for anyone. Um, but it's especially d uh, difficult for, um, you know, those of us with uh, ADHD. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I started talking about like, you know, the strength and, and positive traits and people call them superpowers. There are so many really that we can tap into, especially, you know, when, especially in the working world, you know, uh, I feel like, People with ADHD are often overlooked because people see only the negative oftentimes, mm. you know, mm. all the things that we have talked about, you know, the distractions and uh, not being able to remember names and, you know, not being able to to read a book from, from start to finish, things like that, you know, which is all very true and it's very painful. However, um, there's so many, so many positive traits that we bring that I feel like could be so beneficial to a lot of organizations if they were just to figure out how to support people with 
you know, neurotypical, neurodiverse people. And we're not talking about just ADHD. There are so mm-hmm. many different yeah. conditions that fall, like yeah. autism, autism, dyslexia, mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. like that. There are more, Tourette's. But, yes. So, but, but really, everyone brings something to the table that any organization in mm-hmm. any form and way could benefit from. I mean, you and I, of course, you and I, we speak the same language because we understand one another. I'm so grateful, by the way, I have to mention this now. I'm so grateful that you at a point, you know, said to me, you might want to look into this. I wish I had somebody like you in my life before, you know, mm. and it doesn't matter if, if you were my, my manager or boss at the time, you know, or, or a friend, but, but really what I wanted, the point I want to make here is if, if, Either you have a condition yourself, an ADHD condition, or you know someone and you have a friend or coworker or a team member where you feel like this sounds familiar to what I experienced or I have witnessed with mm-hmm. somebody else that I know. I would highly recommend pointing this out. I mean, really, what harm can it do? You're, you're sharing information about your experience, either with yourself or somebody else. And, and giving somebody a chance to look into something they might have never looked into, never really yeah. thought that this could be a possibility for them, like with you. You know, I never, mm-hmm. even afterwards, I was really questioning, this is not me, cannot, mm-hmm. cannot be me. And here we are, you know. It's interesting because I feel like the more, the more I've talked about it with people, especially when I was first diagnosed, um, it was a substantial number of folks that were like, I think, I think you just described me, but not yeah. everyone. I mean, this is the thing that's really important. Nick is very neurotypical. Yeah. That doesn't mean that, I mean, this is the thing that people will be like, yeah, but we all get distracted with our phones. We all get, we, we do, right? Phones mm-hmm. are a whole different yeah. beast because yeah. they're designed for addiction, but but we all have moments of distractibility. We all have moments when we struggle with prioritization. It's just not persistent. That's exactly. the difference is yeah. that like Nick, Nick, can sit down and he can, you know, he can focus on, you know, a drawing or a project or like, okay, this is what I need to do, even if it's like, he might not want to, but he can like get himself. And it is like pulling chains for me to get there. And, you know, and one of the things that I wanted to go back to that, you know, strength is, um, and again, everyone's different. I love that point you made about like, everyone's really capable they just need to be supported. Mm. And so part of it is how do, if you're a leader, how do you educate yourself more on neurodivergency and all of the different shades of it? What are the things you can put into place? Because again, like I wasn't diagnosed, but Lisa knew how to manage me. She mm-hmm. figured she she was familiar enough with it to know I need to help Sarah prioritize. I need to be really explicit with her. I need to create deadlines for her, right? And that was never, never felt condescending or anything like that. It was exactly what I needed. And I thrived under her. Mm. Like I thrived under Mm. her because she, she knew the container. Like we always joke that, we always joke that she was like, I know that I, I just need to give you as long of a leash as possible, but you still need a little leash. And I was like, yeah, yeah no, I do yeah. need like that, that, that uh, control or that uh, structure. But, you know, one of the things that we talk about, and you're probably noticing this maybe in this interview, but um, is just that ability to make connections between mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. other people may not. Mm-hmm. Um, the 
uh, you know, being potentially like more expressive sometimes. And I mean, there's there are a lot of gifts. Like I always love when I'm on stage and I always joke like you can interrupt me. I did 10 years of improv and I have a very healthy case of ADHD mm-hmm. because we can sh- often sometimes we can shift quickly in the moment, sometimes to our detriment. But one of the things, you know, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about strategies because mm-hmm. Everyone is different. And just like you said, it presents differently for everyone. And one of the biggest gifts that I got when I was first working with my therapist, who I love, like I, that was just like a life changing for me to have somebody like her, was she said, you have to understand that all of the tools (laughs) that are out there for this are largely designed for a neurotypical brain. They're not designed for your brain Mm -hmm. and you need to figure out what's your manual is Mm -hmm. what she said. We Mm -hmm. need to figure out the Sarah manual. So she said, even if it seems ridiculous, we have to figure out the Sarah manual. So for example, you know, like sometimes setting a timer works for me. Like I'm going to work for 20 minutes uninterrupted. I have an app that is like a, a tree grows. And if you get distracted from the app, it's like your tree is dying. You're killing the tree. <laughs> like there's something about that 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 helps keep me focused. Um, but the other thing I know um, is if I'm doing a really mundane task, if I do it with someone, mm-hmm. like, you know, there are times where I'll be like, Teresa, just fold laundry and let me talk this out. And then I can just get it done. And I just I'm I'm learning to be unapologetic about like, this is just what I need in order to do this. What are some of the things that you have found to be helpful? Mm-hmm. I think again, for me, um, if I get a chance to decide where I want to work during the day, or on, that, on a specific day where I feel like I've already oh, in the morning, oh, I cannot, uh, I cannot go and, and see people today because I feel mm. like my brain is already so destructive. I'm so, you know, all over the place. I need quiet time. I need pure quiet time. Mm. No noise, no nothing around me. Then I, I also like you become unapologetic to say, okay, I, I, I need to be home today. I need to be here because it, it works best for me. Other things that have helped um, a ton is I now exercise regularly. And mm. I'm not doing it, you know, my my goal has become different. My goal mm. is not to lose weight. Yes, would I love to lose some weight? Of absolutely. It's a nice, it's a nice treat when it's a, one of the result is is part of the result. But for me, it's become part of the routine. Because when you do exercise, the brain, the dopamine hits as well. You know, mm-hmm. it's it, it doesn't mm-hmm. last for the whole day, of course not. But at least it's it's a it's a short amount of time where you from start to finish when you when you're done that's the other part of ADHD you know we can't work on years long projects. Nope. <laughs> no, we we need this to is see why the end. <laughs> we need to see the end very clearly. It needs to be there like almost immediately, um, and sometimes it can be weeks or months as well. But it depends on the project. But um, for me, sport or doing a bit of an exercise every other day or so, you know, really is this, okay, I'm, I'm seeing success. I'm seeing something. I'm, I'm starting something. I'm finishing. Because that's also sometimes hard because you, you start something, you don't finish. How many books have I got? <laughs> As I'm seeing all the books. <laughs> How many of these have I read the first three chapters? <laughs> Yeah, it's lots of all of them. (laughs) (laughs) But it's this is this is this is what it is, you know. It's like um, setting small goals 
before, I never understood that thinking because I'm big picture thinker. Yeah, you know? I like. This is I want to think about it. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to think about it real good. It's going to be a real good idea. Yeah, I mean, I mean, really, we we are really big picture thinkers. You know, we can mm-hmm. create solutions for bigger stuff. You know, we don't mm-hmm. want to, and then, but then we need a team. That mm-hmm. thinks about the steps because I'm getting mm-hmm. bored. <laughs> Just yeah. thinking about every little step along the way. Um, but what I realized as well is, you know, if there is a bigger goal, a, a bigger project or something, it is so, so important to have those small steps. But then yeah. I need somebody to help me out with this because it's just... I need the external pressure. Yeah, like I I have to have whether it's a coach, whether it's a coworker, Mm -hmm. whether it's Nick, whatever it is, like, the only reason that book got done, the only reason I finished my book was because I had somebody who was like, you need to review these two chapters by next week. And I was like, yeah. I can do that Yeah. at the last minute. I will do that. <laughs> and that's the thing. Yeah. It's last minute, you know, but it's, but then the work is good. The work is good. Right. <laughs> well, no, that's exactly what I was going to say. There's, there's a subtle, okay. So there's a subtlety of like, there is procrastinating, right? Like, and we, you know, and especially, especially with ADHD, procrastination can happen because, oh, shoot, we haven't even talked about this time blindness and the irony is i realize we're over and this is really appropriate for this moment (laughs) but time blindness is a very real thing with neurodivergent brains and which means we either are overestimating how long things will take and so then we make it seem like it's going to take forever and then we delay it because we're anxious about it or we go there's no way i can start that right now or we Mm. underestimate how long things will take Mm -hmm. um why many of your neurodivergent ADHD friends show up late <laughs> is because I think there's some part of our brain that's like, I can get anywhere in 15 minutes. I'm going to hit green lights. It's all going to be. And and I and one of the things that and this just happened yesterday in the team meeting, <laughs> Mary and Teresa are really good of like, you need to go to the bathroom, Sarah, because you're going to have a meeting in 12 minutes. And like, and I'm still just like yapping, yapping, yapping. And yesterday, Mary nudged me. She's like, go to the bathroom. Like, she was like, girl, go to the bathroom. We got to call that too. And sometimes I need that because yeah, that time blindness is very real. So then what happens is you overestimate how long it's going to take. And then that stresses you out. And then right, you go into procrastination mode. That said, sometimes we're incubating and that's different. And incubating is I'm thinking about it a lot. I'm chewing on it. I'm going to be tweaking up to the last minute. And part of the reason why we can execute on that is because we've been incubating. So for me, mm. the the trick is what I've worked to build. And I'm pretty, I feel like I'm, I've got a pretty good sense of it now is, am I procrastinating because I don't want to do this or I'm afraid that I won't be able to do it? Or am I actually incubating mm. and like knowing the difference Mm, um that's a good one it's yeah. important and you know the the one one more thing that i'll i'll just bring up is um i feel like this has been a new revelation for me in the last year because <laughs> i saw me i saw my nick sent me a meme so i don't remember if he sent it or i saw i think i saw it and i shared it with him and it was like has somebody developed the social platform for ADHD people to swap hobbies and all of the stuff they buy for the hobbies that they want to do that they never continue. And we're just like, keep swapping hobbies because the novelty wears off, right? Like it's, it's so funny. It's, yeah. it's so true though. Like, cause, cause it's like, if we're going to do something, we aren't just going to do it a little bit. 
<laughs> We're going to buy everything that goes along. There's a reason I own nine accordions and not just one. But like, but the, but the, uh, the, the, the revelation I had is I'm trying to find moments to just like accept and embrace that that's my brain. Mm -hmm. So last summer, I got really into just like drinks, like I want to buy all these boba tea, you know, I'm going to buy all this boba pearls or the bursting bobas and all these syrups and all of these like different flavorings. And I, I mean, I, I have basically like a stocked, you know, like bar, uh, coffee shop. And I joked with my therapist and I said, here's what I know about me. I love the idea of the hobby. The idea of the hobby and the planning of the hobby brings me as much joy sometimes as actually doing it. And I'm okay with that's actually where my joy comes from. Mm, exactly. So I said, so I'm mm. going to, I said, I was laughing. I said, so this is going to be my three month hobby <laughs> that I I'm going to just do and enjoy. And then I'll figure out what my next three month hobby is after that. And being okay that like that, that's actually, that's fun and joyful to me. And just because I don't stick with it doesn't mean that I should dismiss it. That's just part of my brain. And I yeah. remember her saying, that's like the healthiest, like ADHD response I've ever had. So, you know, and another one is, um, I would, again, because I know we have, we just need to talk about, we'll do a panel discussion because we've got lots of friends who could <laughs> join us in this. Um, like something I've had to accept is eye contact. Mm, yeah. Right. That's really common for people who are neurodivergent to struggle with eye contact, especially Absolutely. when they're thinking, mm -hmm. because literally it's like your brain has to go to the palace and like, because in part of what people don't realize, at least for me, I need to remove the visual distraction of your face and just zone out so I can get into my brain. Mm -hmm. And and that's such a neurotypical point of feedback. You need to give more feedback or you need to have better eye contact. You need to have clear eye contact. And finally, I just realized, like, do you want do you want me to look at your eyes or do you want my best ideas? Because mm -hmm. best so. ideas is going to be out left. Mm -hmm. And now that I understand it. Right. Mm hmm. Kristen, oh, go ahead. What's going on? No, yeah, you? no, there's so many. I think we, we, we probably need just another episode on <laughs> ADHD. We'll do, we'll do a panel. Yeah. But, we but, do. Yeah, but really, um, no, I love what you said um, at the end. Is, you know, don't judge me on the way I come across or the things I do mm. differently. Judge me for what I'm giving you. But mm. also look behind the curtain, look behind, you know, and see, okay, am I working in the right conditions? Do I have the right conditions to do the best I can? You know, and that doesn't just belong into the workplace. It's for everyone, really, you know, to really understand, okay, what is this person actually going through? Are they mm -hmm. in the best place to do the best they can? You know, are they juggling so many things? And with ADHD, you juggle a ton of things, you know, mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. There's never... There's never a time off, I feel like, you know, unless you sleep. That, <clears throat> that, that is the statement right there. Like, I think if you could sum up what ADHD feels like, it's that there's never a time off. Mm -hmm. Like there's, which is why for me, and I've talked about this on the show, why the accordion is an act of self-care for me, because mm -hmm. it's so complicated. It mm -hmm. forces me to focus mm -hmm. and it lets my thoughts settle in a way that they don't normally. 
Um, we clearly need to have future conversations, and I think that it would be valuable. And I've got some some people I'm thinking about too who could join us, and we could talk about what's it like in the workplace and what do we think about um, as we wind down our time together, Miss Kristen. But let's since this is the first time you're on the show, hi, welcome. Um, <laughs> let's let's uh, let's make sure that we have you answer our our quintessential question at the end, mm-hmm. which is. Tell me a time, a conversation. When was a, a conversation you had with yourself or with someone else that was transformative for you? I think it really comes down to myself. Um, mm. After I had an incident with my son, um, which put me right into depression. Mm. Um, and to really say, Kristen, you're doing the best. Where, mm. where you are, whatever ha- what happens and the things that are happening in your life. It was a very crazy time with all the changes. I really had to say it's okay because you're doing the best you can with the conditions you have and, you know, just be proud of where you are. And mm. it's okay to have a one, one, one situation where you didn't feel like yourself, you didn't feel like you're doing your best because – you're just a human being as anyone else. That's mm. so. such, mm. such a beautiful reminder, I think, for all of us. Kristen, for people who are listening, mm. who are curious, like, about working with you from a coaching perspective, mm. um, what's the kind of coaching work that you feel really drawn to? My focus right now and in general is I, I work with, uh, with leaders in general, Um but I, I like to work with anyone really who is looking at themselves, have a bit of a self-awareness. That's very important. You know, when you come to coaching, you you want to be aware of you. Okay, what are the things that you would like to like to work on, and have an open mind um, to the work and to yourself. Um, but really, um, my focus is working with leaders and helping leaders understand. You know, what's the impact mm. they're having on their teams on individuals on their teams on themselves and how they show up every single day as the leaders and how they serve um you know their teams and the organization actually that they're working for um it can be anything from emerging leaders you know helping them to figure out you know how do i become a leader how do i want to be how do i want to set myself up for success as i'm stepping into a leadership role um, it could also be a senior leader who, you know, because as we say, sometimes the, the, the air becomes very thin at the top, you know, and, mm, and because mm. so many eyes are looking up to you, mm. so many, <laughs> and the pressure well can said. be very high, the pressure can be very high, you know, and, and there are any topic really that is related to you being a human in the workplace, you know, um, is something that I'm passionate about, can be mental health, can be how to have a difficult conversation. You know, and how to help them, you know, shape a conversation, shape um, words, giving them different different words, different perspectives on how to hold a difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just giving them giving a different perspective that helps somebody to move forward. Thinking about, oh, I have to have this difficult conversation with my, you know, team member here. Um, so yeah. Really, um, anything related to leadership, but being a leader, um, as we say, is not just the role that you fill, is also mm-hmm. how you show up every single day. And it doesn't have to be a formal leadership role. So that's why I say I like to work with anyone, yeah. uh, formal or not formal, in terms of leadership. 
I highly recommend her. There's a reason that she's one of our main coaches on our team. And, you know, and we are quickly transitioning many, many uh, more clients um, as I take a a step back. And um, you certainly, if you're interested in working with Kristen, you can connect with us at sarahnollwilson.com. You could reach out to to her at Kristen at sarahnollwilson.com. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the show finally. God, I don't know how it took us this long. It was long overdue. We're going to have to have you back again in less than 50 episodes is what needs to happen. I guess a good old ADHD fashion. (laughs) We talked about it a lot. We We talked about about it a whole lot. And then it would get out of sight, out of mind. We're like, all right, we need to make this happen. I, you know how much I adore you. And I'm um, so glad that we're still on this journey together. And pushing each other and pushing other people. So thank you, my love. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Our guest this week has been Kristen Souter. And I just, you know, she actually said something at the end that I've never heard her describe, that the air gets thinner at the top when you're a leader. And I know that that's not related to ADHD, but that that one actually is just sticking with me here in a moment. But we want to hear from you what resonates, what resonated, what comes up for you? What are you thinking about? Are you one of our fellow busy brain friends? So be sure to drop us a message at podcast at sarahnillwilson.com. My DMs are always open. And if you want to support the show, please consider becoming a patron, a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash conversations on conversations. Also, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast platform. This is incredibly helpful for us to continue to increase exposure and bring on great guests like Kristen and talk about important topics like we did today. A final just big thank you to our team. Uh, Nick Wilson, our producer, Drew Knoll, our sound editor, uh, Becky Reinert, our transcriptionist, Caitlin Summit Nelson, our marketing consultant, and the rest of the Snowco crew. We thank you. And a final thank you to our guest, Kristen. It was such a treat to finally have her on the show. And so excited for you all to meet one of the most amazing humans that I get to spend time with. She's one of my favorite people. This, my friends, has been Conversations on Conversations. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, when we can change the conversations we have with ourselves and others, we can change the world. So be sure to rest, rehydrate, and we will see you again next week.